Hello and welcome back to another episode of the PlaySheet podcast. I am joined by my good friend Joe. Hey there guys. And uh, it's been a week of wild stories and crazy events, Joe. And that's before we even mentioned last week's games, which contained plenty of upsets. I feel like we're in full swing mid-season NFL madness. Yeah, the start of the season has gone now. We no longer have to say, oh, but there's plenty of football still to be played. There is plenty of football still to be played, but we can see who's good, we can see who's bad, and we can start really talking about how the season's going to start to play out. So rather than focus on uh, some of the games that happened last week, let's just jump into a few kind of burning issues that we want to cover off straight away. Obviously, a trade deadline has been looming and there have been a few movements on that front. Let's start off with the Von Miller trade from the Broncos to the Rams. So Von Miller, 32, he's now on his way to Los Angeles and sending back their way are, well, basically two day two picks for him, Joe. The Rams have given up a 2022 second rounder and a 2022 third rounder. Feels expensive, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm, I'll am i be honest, I'm not a huge fan of his trade. The last time that Von Miller was properly Von Miller for a season, and by that I mean starting every game and having the success in terms of sacks and hassling the quarterback as you'd expect. The last time he really played that way was 2018. 2018 started all 16 games, had an interception, I think four forced fumbles and finished the season with 14 and a half sacks. Good return and that was how he'd been playing, you know, almost constantly since 2011, aside from a down year with injury in 2013. Didn't have a great 2019, it was interrupted by injury, still started 15 games, I mean only finished up with eight sacks, was out all of 2020 and then Four and a half sacks so far this year, which isn't bad. But again, it's not at the rate that he was scoring before 2019. Von Miller is in a contract year this year. He's a free agent at the end of his season. Theoretically, the Rams could have given up here a second and a third round pick in the draft for a player who's going to play eight games plus however many playoff games they have. It could be a very expensive rental that the Rams have done here. Now, you know, you could argue that if he's a player that helps get them over the line, that helps get them that Super Bowl win, then it's worth it. And you'd probably say that is true. But judging on how he's been performing over the last few years, the jury's out on whether he's going to be that effective for them. So it's a very high price to pay. Personally, I don't like it because the Rams are going to also have a number of players who are coming into free agency at the end of this year. You've got Whitworth, who's probably going to retire. Their backup left tackle... Jacob Nomblum, he is in a free agency year, so he needs his contract sent if he's going to stay, or they need to find a replacement left tackle. Then you've also got some other kind of, maybe not key, but important starters. Darius Williams, Sebastian Joseph Day, Brian Allen, Austin Corbett. These guys, you know, you're starting centre, you're starting right guard. They're going to need contract extensions at the end of this year. And, you know, you can restructure, you can kick the can. But it's going to be challenging when you don't have that fresh blood coming in with draft picks. And as we know now, the Rams won't be picking until day three in the 2022 draft unless they make some moves. That's the thing that really worried me about this trade, Joe. You know, we talk about all-in. This felt very much like an all-in trade because they've done everything they can to shore themselves up this season in the full knowledge that next season they have nothing to pick from from a, a rookie perspective not picking until day three, that's bad news. So you better hope they go far this season. 
Yeah, and we've said this before, we've talked about the phrase all in, and I feel it's a phrase that's always kind of misused. You have teams who sign a couple of vets on maybe slightly expensive contracts, and, and people say they're all in. No, you're all in basically where you've closed that kind of rookie window over the next few years, and by taking away draft picks, they've basically made themselves all in here. If their veterans decline, if Von Miller doesn't get the contract he wants and walks, if Andrew Whitworth leaves, suddenly they've gone all in and uh, they've mortgaged the future a little bit here. I don't like the trade. I don't think that it was necessary and I'm not sure that Von Miller is proven enough to risk a second and a third, potentially a half-season rental. And this is the thing, if we look at it from the Broncos' point of view, you've got Von Miller, who's 32 now, which is by no means a death toll uh, for his position, but it's certainly the twilight of his career. He's got half a season before free agency hits. The Broncos are going to save $9.7 million on their cap. And for a team that still hasn't figured out, you know, its quarterback issues, probably needs a bit of a, an overhaul in some other areas. They've got two day two picks, saved a bunch of money and potentially save themselves Von Miller walking away in half a season's time and them getting absolutely nothing for it. So I think from their point of view, it's it's worked out very favourably. Absolutely. Von Miller was probably not going to be retained past the season. They're in rebuilding mode. They're trying to get as many picks as they can. And I think a second and a third rounder for a player like Von Miller now isn't too bad a return. Just to finish up on this, the last thing to probably note is this is admission now from a Denver Broncos that they're not really pursuing the 2021 season. If they honestly believe they were going to make a playoff run, they wouldn't have got rid of Von Miller despite the picks they've just received for it now. If they were really serious about thinking they were going to win something, they'd have kept him. Yeah. Okie doke. And then on to some more awful news, Joe. We received very recently information about Henry Ruggs being involved in a DUI and actually killing the other passenger it's terrible i don't really want to talk about this one for too long but look thing i do want to say is absolutely zero sympathy you're a professional athlete everyone's entitled some downtime here and there but for the raiders generally you don't really play past the regular season 16 games 17 games this year okay they make a playoff run that's say 20 weeks 20 weeks that you have to play competitively you've got 30 weeks of a year to go out and drink and do whatever else you want to do for him to be getting behind the wheel with all the money that he has and all the opportunity he has and everything he had in front of him he's an absolute idiot he's killed someone he deserves the book to be thrown at him he'll never play another snap again and to be honest we should never really say Henry Ruggs name on this show again it's finished gone yeah couldn't agree with you more joe it it just seems so foolish and something that's so easily avoidable and you know rugs was a very big prospect coming into this season and and last season and what a waste on all counts you know from every side so the the waste here is the uh, woman who burnt to death in the car that he crashed into i don't care about his talent or whatever else he killed someone and they died in quite a horrible way horrible Plenty of lives have been wrecked in this incident and it's it could have been easily avoided. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've covered it, Joe. So briefly moving on then, let's touch on another painful moment for you. Let's talk about Mike Zimmer, shall we? Someone who certainly doesn't have the keys to the Bimmer right now is Mike Zimmer. <laughs> so is he a man on the hot seat, Joe? I think he is on the hot seat now. I think after what happened on Sunday night, 
Obviously, I stayed up to watch it and that's one. I kind of wish I'd just gone to bed for now. Oh. Let's put things into context. The Vikings were playing a Cowboys side without Dak Prescott with Cooper Rush, who I'm just trying to recall here. I don't think Cooper Rush has, has ever played a snap. His NFL experience was extremely, extremely limited. He's never been a starter. He should have been a player who the Vikings targeted, who they hassled, who they made his life very uncomfortable. And the Vikings really, if they were serious about winning anything this year, should have beaten the Cowboys on Sunday. They didn't. They came close and they perhaps could have pulled something out in the last minute like they have a few times this season had they had timeouts. But Mike Zimmer's disastrous clock management and timeout management in particular meant that they didn't. There's one play in particular I'm talking about where the Vikings called a timeout and then Zimmer tried to call a timeout on a timeout, which, as most fans will probably realise, you can't do. So not only did he waste two timeouts, he also incurred a 10-yard penalty. Absolute disaster. And it's things like this which put you on the hot seat. Now, there's been grumblings from a number of Vikings fans over the last few seasons that he plays too conservative manner of football. And there's always been a case of that. You can argue that. But as long as everything else is going well and he's proficient in other means that's more of a subjective argument when you're doing things which are objectively stupid and objectively have led to you losing the game then those other subjective issues come to the forefront more I think that Zimmer is very much on the hot seat now I don't think imminently I don't think it's going to be you know he gets sacked in the next couple of weeks but I can see someone else being the Vikings coach this time next year Zimmer is basically he's a hyped up defensive coordinator he's never really embraced his duties as head coach on the offensive side of a ball he's never really embraced game management as much and effectively as he should have done close games the vikings could have won they have lost more often than not in the last few years and that's down often to poor game management he hasn't allowed kirk cousins to be in inverted commas a field general and again that's putting the onus back on you as head coach and it's just not working yeah, I mean, look, as the Vikings fan, you know a lot more about this than I do, but that certainly ladders up to what I've kind of witnessed from watching the games. Uh, two things that surprised me. One, I haven't spotted that the Cowboys released Ben DiNucci in the preseason. So I was fully sat up on Sunday night looking forward to a bit of sidearm DiNucci action. <laughs> that never transpired. So already I was in a bad mood. And then you're absolutely right. I I mean, Zimmer has had a couple of seasons now to pull this team together. He's had in many parts the players that he wanted. He got Jefferson through, which is an absolute find in that draft. And I, I feel like the Vikings should be doing better than they are at the moment. They certainly shouldn't be the third team in the division, especially with all the issues that the Bears are having themselves at the moment. And I feel that Zimmer's kind of squandered that opportunity to to push them forward. And if you're talking about him being a kind of conservative coach in the, in the style of football that he plays, that would certainly match up to that. The amount of times that the Vikings run the ball on third and 10 or third and longer than 10, it's mind-boggling when you've got players like Justin Jefferson and Adam Phelan out on the field as well. This is a team which... On offence, the line is now not atrocious. It's been atrocious for a few years, but it's not atrocious. The line is probably average right now. Cousins, a lot of people have a lot of different views on him, and those views should really average out, and he's not a bad quarterback. He's he's not elite. He's not elite by any means, 
but he's really not bad. And statistically, he's actually a very good quarterback. Now, you can say what you like about him in clutch situations, and I don't want to go down the Kirk Cousins road because we can talk about a whole podcast on that. But statistically, he's a good quarterback. On practical football terms, he's not a bad quarterback. And when you've got you know an elite tandem of wide receivers, an elite running back, an elite backup running back as well, this is an offense which should really be firing pretty hard. And they're just not under Zimmer. And a lot of that is due to is due to how he's running this team. So let's sort of segue in here from the Vikings on to, well, I never thought I'd be talking about the Jets, but let's talk about Mike White after, well, the Jets' impressive win over the Bengals this Sunday just gone. Yeah, what a performance from Mike White on Sunday evening. Now, it wasn't a flawless performance by any means, so there's a penchant for some people to kind of get carried away here. He, you know, he threw some interceptions still. He didn't do everything perfectly, but this was easily the best performance by the Jets on the offensive side of a ball this season. It was also probably the best defensive performance as well, which Mike White didn't really have too much to do with. But all in all, the Jets surprised a lot of people and played very well on Sunday. Mike White in with a shot of being started. Do you see that, Charles? Do you really see him usurping Zach Wilson for potentially the rest of the season? Or do you think that Salah was just being kind, perhaps, to a guy who's who's probably euphoric coming off the field on Sunday evening? Yeah, I think I'm probably more in the kind of latter camp here. And it, again, hinges on something that you've just mentioned, which is Mike White was great. He did a really good job. But for me, the thing that impressed me the most was the Jets' defence. It was also the thing that we called out last episode, saying this is what we need to see from the Jets, knowing that they were going into a tough matchup with the Bengals. I think they delivered on that. And again, it's kind of what we said last week, but it's that idea of if you can sort that defence out, it gives you the opportunities in the offence to make the plays to come away with a win. And that's exactly what happened. Now, was Mike White impressive? Yes, against a Bengals team that have been performing very well. However, the Bengals aren't necessarily known for their defence. I'm not sure that it was as much an impressive victory by Mike White as it was the defence of the Jets and the overall gameplay. And I think that he will still give Wilson that chance next week when it comes back around. Yeah, there's there's probably something to that, Charles. The Bengals don't have a great defence. We've seen their pass rush be effective in certain games, but it's not been consistent through the season and it certainly wasn't consistent at all on Sunday evening. What I would say though, Charles, is look, Mike White came out and did what he did on Sunday. A pass for 414 yards. The most that Zach Wilson has hit, I think, all season was 290-odd against the Titans week four. And that was the best game the Jets had had where they took the Titans to overtime and won in overtime. But beyond that, he hasn't gone past 300, let alone go past 400. Obviously, like we said, the defense allows the quarterback to play well because if you've got to play a certain way, if you're chasing a game, it's always going to make it hard. We mentioned that last week. We know that. The defense helped Mike White in this game. But look, next week, the Jets have got the Colts. They've got the Bills a week after that. If Wilson comes out and has a couple of torrid games and, you know, eats a few sacks, gets beaten up, doesn't look good, then why wouldn't you put Mike White back in? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think he has an opportunity to find his way back into the team. But does he start? I I just think you don't do that to your number one pick. Well, no, it's not so much the number one pick. It's basically the unwritten rule. Well, it's, it's unwritten, but a lot of coaches kind of say it is that you don't lose your place through injury. That's kind of a, a kind of classic thing. Coaches don't like players to lose their places through injury. It's terrible for dressing room morale. 
But you could argue that through his performances, Zach Wilson should be benched at some point if he continues to not really do much. And that's with sympathy to Zach Wilson because he's obviously in a terrible situation where he's having to play games a certain way, chasing them. But he hasn't been particularly effective. And you'd think, unfortunately, against this Colts team, who have proven to have a very good run defence, it is going to come down a lot to whichever quarterback is on the field to keep the Jets in the game here because they're probably not going to have too much luck running the ball. Yeah, but then on the flip side, it's not a great pass defense from the Colts. Like, you know, there's cornerbacks that you can target there, like Rocky Yassin has looked quite shaky through most of the season. He's definitely an opportunity there. And I feel that if Zach Wilson doesn't take that opportunity, why not throw Mike White out there again the uh, week after? Okay, let's wait and see. I, I think I agree with you. I think he could make another appearance if Wilson's having a tragic game. I don't think he will. I, I just want to say that. I think that your kind of view of it being him being the second round pick and the implications of not playing him, I don't think that Michael White will start again. But personally for me, I probably would. And then let's finish this week where we started last week in terms of news from the NFL. And let's briefly touch on that that Green Bay Arizona game, uh, which we had said was a real shame that it took the competitiveness out of the game that really it was almost a dead cert for the Cardinals and even if Green Bay lost what do we know <laughs> exactly wow that felt like an upset and and you know we said last week that really the Cardinals have to win this and they have to win this convincingly if they want to keep on this kind of persona that they're this unbeaten team that they can go all the way this felt like a very bad loss for them it's going to sting. This was an opportunity to keep the unbeaten run going. They would have felt with Devante Adams being out, Lazard being out, with MBS being out, with all the absences on the offensive side of a ball, this was really an opportunity for them to, to play how they wanted and keep that stretch going, and they didn't. I mean, if they, the Cardinals are still going to playoffs, that doesn't change anything. They could still get a very high seeding. I know uh, they may well still get the first seed. doesn't change that particularly. But it's psychologically quite damaging and it's it's definitely shattered any illusions that people might have had about them being perhaps as good as their record was showing. Here's a question, Joe. Does this affect how the team see AJ Green and how often they might turn to him in game-winning moments from now on? I think it's got to. If you're Kyler Murray, so what, AJ Green joined the Cardinals at the start of this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's not been around forever. It's not like they have a long-time rapport here. So Kyler Murray hasn't gone to AJ Green in the end zone a lot, and you can only really know for sure when it happens. It's happened, and it's cost him the game in embarrassing fashion. Now, there's two roads to go down. Kyler Murray might go to Green in the next game in the end zone to try to show that that was a one-off. I trust you. He might do that. But then again, there's so many other options that he has. Uh, why would you not just go to Hopkins? Why would you not just go to Kirk if Hopkins is covered? Why would you not go to Ertz if your first two reads are covered? AJ Green's probably not the read that Kyler Murray will be looking at in that red zone as much now. That's never to say never. You say that kind of thing and then Green will catch a clutch pass to win Super Bowl, something like that. But yeah, I think it definitely affects things and it's going to affect definitely what AJ Green will be making in the next couple of years. I mean, I loved it for multiple reasons. Number one, it, it saved Green Bay the win. 
But also, he was kicking up such a stink on his way out of Cincinnati, making such a big deal about how he was the big I am, and he was being wasted there, and he'd had enough. And then, big moment, game on the line, with a really solid team that's been unbeaten all season, and he's the one that lets them down. It felt quite satisfying, I'll be honest, Joe. AJ Green hasn't been really that relevant for a while now. He, you know, he's the same age as Antonio Brown. He's 33 years old. Who'd have thought really that Antonio Brown would be the more effective player at this stage in their careers? He's 33. He's not getting any more big contracts. Whatever happens with the Cardinals this year, his contract is voidable in 2022. He'll probably kick around a while longer as names like AJ Green do, as big names like that. Like I said, he's, he's just a less and less relevant player now. Cool. And then elsewhere in the NFC, are the Saints the NFC giant killers? <laughs> well, the Saints, and I hate this, right? Because I hate it where, where teams, where they say teams are effective against his quarterback or anything, because it's nonsense. But the Saints have a 4-4 record against Brady against playing Brady <laughs> and I hate those kind of things because because you're not playing Brady blah 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 but just for whatever weird reason in the cosmos they seem to pull it out when they play Tom Brady teams I still don't think this is a good Saints team I really don't and yet they've bested Brady and Rogers they certainly did that but look at both of those games look at the interceptions that Brady threw Brady had an absolute mare in that game against the Saints he, he was playing so bad that the Jets would have probably beaten the Bucks. Well, the Jets were playing well on Sunday, but you know, pick a bad team and they'd have beaten the Bucks on Sunday. The Bucks were just playing really badly, and we know as well that first game that the Saints had against Green Bay was just an abomination. Something weird happened in the universe, and it collapsed in itself to get that scoreline. The Saints aren't a good side, Charles. They're really not. I don't want to make a big thing of a Jameis Winston injury. Aside from saying that it's horrible for the player himself, I, I, I know that Winston is a guy who's liked in the locker room and, and it's a shame for him. But I'm not going to turn around and say to you and look you straight in the eye here that say, oh, the Saints have busted their chances of going on a good run because Winston was injured. They're probably the worst team to be in that 5-2 and two winning range. I really don't think that they're a good team. But look... They have beaten some good teams. Here we are. They're going to make playoffs almost undoubtedly. They're probably going to be the first wildcard team in the NFC. How do you see it, Charles? Do you see it differently? Do you think they're a good team? Do you think I'm missing something here or not? No, I see it the exact same way. I was amazed that we lost to the Saints in week one. I just couldn't wrap my head around that. And then they're just the weirdest team this season. When I think I've got a measure of them, they pop up and unexpectedly beat a team that I don't expect them to beat. And so they've been a surprise in that respect, almost like um, a factor that you can't quite mitigate for. And I'm just wondering when it comes to postseason, you know, if the Saints make it, if the Bucks make it, if Green Bay make it, what does that do for the psyche of the coaches, the players, everyone involved, both for the Saints? Does that give them a boost knowing they've beaten them in regular season? Does that put the fear into teams like Green Bay and the Bucks, Or do they go, do you know what? That was an off day for us or that was in week one and we've gone strong ever since. And, and do they just put that to the back of their mind and it's not an issue? It's so hard to say. They've got a very, a very mixed schedule for the rest of the season. They get played Falcons twice. I'd call that an average game because the Falcons are looking slightly better, but they're probably still not a great team. Falcons twice, they've got the Eagles who they should beat. They've got the Jets who they should beat. They've got the 
Panthers who they should beat. They've got the Dolphins who they should beat. They've got to play Titans, Bills, Bucks and Cowboys and they're, they're probably hard games. But they've probably only got four games where they're against tough opposition. They can get some momentum behind them. But what I would say is there's only four games that are tough. Do we still think that a team quarterbacked by Taysom Hill is going to win the other six games? Yeah, probably not. How many games do you think that Taysom Hill wins? And do you think that the Saints still have to sign some kind of veteran quarterback to shore things up? Well, they're going to have to sign someone as cover because they clearly don't want to run with, what was it, sixth round pick Ian Book just yet. Yes. So they're very thin and the way that Taysom Hill plays the game as well, he's always kind of walking into injury with the amount that he runs the ball. So they're going to have to sign someone as some kind of backup. But how many games do you think Taysom Hill can win? It's hard to say. Well, I tell you what, should we switch on to our previews now then? Because one of the games we were going to talk about was Atlanta and the New Orleans Saints. So that feels like a good place to be chatting about this. The Falcons lost again to the Panthers last week. It should have been a close matchup. It was an important game for both teams. The Falcons going into it felt like they were trending in the right direction, but this has set them back again. Yeah. And then here you are, they're playing the Saints team that have just lost Jameis Winston. Is there a chance for the Falcons to come along and win this game? You'd say that for Hill, this is one of the easiest games that he is going to come up against. But do I think this is dead certain New Orleans Saints win? No, I don't think I do necessarily. I agree with you, Charles. I, I, I don't think that it's a dead cert. Would probably still have the Saints favourites despite them being helmed by Taysom Hill. I'm not a Hill fan. I've said this many times before. But I just really, really have no faith in this Falcons team at all, really. Calvin Ridley being uh, absent certainly won't help things. But that alone isn't the factor. There's, there's deep-seated problems on both sides of the ball with this Falcons team. They should be in rebuild. They opted to not go into rebuild with what we did with a Matt Ryan contract. I'm not going to say if that's the right or wrong move because we don't really have the details on locker room and everything else but this is a team that is crying out for a lot of draft picks and crying out for some kind of rebuild and they've just not done that yeah Saints to win this but don't be surprised if it's maybe a bit back and forth and perhaps goes down to a play in the fourth quarter now say the Saints do win this is that done for the Falcons then they've then lost to every single divisional competitor they've lost to the Bucks the Saints the Panthers They'll sit at the bottom of the division on three and five. Is that them done then at this stage of the season? Ordinarily, Charles, yeah. Being week nine, only having three wins, you'd think that should be it. But the NFC, it seems to be so heavily skewed to a few good teams and then an awful lot of not very good teams. But I wouldn't write off any teams with three wins just yet. Now, you take the divisional leaders for each of the NFC divisions and you've got the Cardinals, the Cowboys, Green Bay and the Bucks. They're all in playoffs. We know that's going to happen. You've got Rams. Yes, they're going to be in playoffs as well. And then you've probably got Saints now. Despite Taysom Hill, you've got Saints who are going to make playoffs as well. There's six teams there who are looking like locks for the playoffs. That leaves one more spot. And there isn't another NFC team which is really sticking their hands up and saying we're that next spot. It's not the Seahawks, it's not the 49ers, it's not the Bears and it's not the Vikings. It's no one in the NFC East. So it could be a team like the Falcons. They've got as much chance as the Vikings have. They've got as much chance as the 49ers have. They've got as much chance as, I don't know, someone like Washington has. They should be, by all counts, out of it now. But they're not. 
So losing to the Saints, it's not a death knell. But if they lose to the Cowboys a week after, then they're probably going to start to be getting too far behind. But let's see. You know, the Falcons could win this. They have been a bit kind of up and down. And the Saints are going into a slightly brave new world without Jameis. And then what seems like a massive game this week is Browns versus Bengals. It's another divisional matchup. It kind of feels like we're getting into, you know, how you have the witching hour in red zone where wins become losses. It kind of feels like we're in that kind of territory with the divisional matchups where they really matter at this stage in the season. And this feels like a particularly close and important one. Absolutely. It's that time of year when divisional matchups start to count double, really, where it's not just a W, it's a W over a team who's got a lot of Ws and you need to be really separating yourself from them. AFC North is a tantalising division this year. All of those teams really are still hanging in there. You know, the Bengals had that blip last week, but they're still 5-3, and three, decent winning record. Ravens are obviously playing well and will make playoffs. Browns are a good team at 0.500 and arguably they could be 6-2 and two with how some of the games have gone. And Steelers, by beating Browns last week, showed us that they're still hanging in there and aren't going to go quietly into the night. This is a very interesting division here. And it's kind of seemed to switch where we were talking at the start of the year about how the AFC West, how all of those teams there in one way or another could make playoffs. It's now looking more likely that we might see that from something like the AFC North. I'm not saying they will make playoffs, but any one of those teams right now could make playoffs. And certainly don't be surprised to see three of them. So, Back to the game, Bengals-Browns, both teams lost last week, so they're coming off an L and we'll want to turn that around very quickly. This really, for me, is game of the week and I don't even know how to call this one, really. There's numerous ways that it could go. It's the most interesting division. I mean, if the Browns win this, depending on whatever else happens elsewhere, you know, they can move up into second place in the division on the same score that the Bengals have. So they suddenly go from last to second They've won then that divisional head-to-head. It becomes so, so important. Chubb's back now for the Browns. And as we know, Chubb is a tremendously important part of that team. A lot of the offence goes through Chubb. It's a Stefanski offence. We've spoke about this a lot previously. It's a run first, 22, 21, 12 personnel kind of sets. Chubb is absolutely pivotal to how this Browns team plays. Yeah. You've got Mayfield back, you've got Landry back, who knows what's going to happen with OBJ, but maybe could be back. You know, this is a team that's suddenly starting to come back to a kind of fully fit team, which we haven't really seen from the Browns much this season. When they were fully fit at the beginning, they were performing very, very well. So yeah, it kind of feels like here's two very good teams in the Bengals and the Browns. The Browns have had some misfortune of late. But now they have an opportunity to set that straight. And I hope it's highly competitive. I expect it to be quite close. But I agree with you, you know, with these two teams, anything can happen. Anyone can go off. It it could go in either direction. But for sure, game of the week and one I'm going to be keeping an eye on just because of its level of importance for both teams. Yeah. And now we said that the both probably a bottle of a game and it would end up like a 6-3 like we saw from the Browns. <laughs> oh no, don't give me that. Last season. But no, really looking forward to that one. And the AFC North is definitely a division that I'm going to be tracking a lot through the rest of the season because those teams are just so close, so hard to separate them. Okay, Ravens are probably up in front a little bit, but Bengals, Steelers, Browns, they're going to be battling out all through the rest of the regular season. Yeah, so plenty of drama we had last week. Plenty of drama still yet to see. 
still nothing quite compares to the drama that's going on in college football at the moment involving a stripper and an emotional support monkey. <laughs> I just want to say Pole Assassin is one of the best stripper names I've ever heard. Love it. <laughs> yeah so for anyone who hasn't heard red seen the story yet maybe don't <laughs> because it will just give you so many questions and reading that story will just lead to more questions than answers uh but there you go you've got all the major components emotional support <laughs> monkey pole assassin you google it yourself you find out the real story <laughs> but until then i'll uh i'll speak to you next week joe see you next week charles